0: I'm Jessica Harris. This is From Scratch. My guest is Essie Weingarten, founder of the nail polish company Essie. Essie is available in roughly 25,000 salons in more than 100 countries. Essie launched in 1981 with $10,000, and the company was bought by L'Oreal in 2010. Essie is from Hollis Hill, Queens. Welcome.
1: It's my pleasure to be here, Jessica.
0: Before we get started, I'm noticing that you are wearing some red nail polish. Can I see your hands for a second? What do you call that
1: color? She's Pampered. When did that color come out? Probably about 10 years ago, but it's so apropos now since I'm not working and I'm enjoying life and I feel very pampered. When did you get them done? Yesterday, as a matter of fact.
0: Mm. How did you come up with the name She's Pampered?
1: It was... From a collection where it was all about opulence, and this was one of six colors, and it always is about the theme. Mm -hmm. So She's Pampered just looked right to me. It was like a rosy red, and it looked like... Any woman could wear it when she's feeling really special.
0: People who know the brand Essie, uh, who use the nail polish, they know you for your names, as well as uh, other attributes. Names range from Wicked to Fancy Pants, Tomboy No More, Rockstar Skinny. And I feel like these names are just on the right side of naughty. Can you talk to us about your your thinking surrounding the names?
1: Well, I always wanted to have a personality. So if the names had a personality women would remember them. If it's numbers, it's so impersonal. And it's like, what number is it? If they don't remember the whole name, they remember something about the name. And there's a very funny story. A woman met me, and she said to me, oh, my God, you're Essie? I was in a salon, and this woman asked for dancing shoes. And I said, that's not one of my colors. And she said, no, no, no. I know it's one of your colors. I said, I don't have anything called dancing shoes. To make a long story short, she was talking about ballet slippers. Mm -hmm. And I said, oh, got it. Mm -hmm. Okay, ballet slippers? When we went through the whole thing, Mm -hmm. which, you know, everyone talks about ballet slippers when they're talking about a delicious pink color. And to me, it was my days of Miss Lee at ballet school. Mm -hmm. And everyone else wore black leotards, and I wore pink leotards. Mm -hmm. So it was always that childhood memory of me being feminine and special. And when the Queen of England wanted the S.E. Ballet Slippers, I received a letter with the Royal Crest, and it was H.R.H., and it was the hairdresser of the Queen of England. And basically, he asked if I would sell them the polish, and I said, of course. He wanted to know if I could ship it immediately, and I said, I'll hand deliver it. (laughs) I mean, I I thought I, you know, arrived at the moon.
0: So Queen Elizabeth wears ballet slippers. Wouldn't it be funny if she wore, like, bikini sotini
1: I would love it I think it would be so chic on her toes
0: Speaking of Queen Elizabeth there was another woman uh, in the early days who really kind of uh, helped you become and I'm thinking of Joan Rivers Oh, Were you Jelly thinking Apple. Of Joan Rivers? Yes.
1: Joan was very special. She was on Johnny Carson. She was uh, basically I think she was sidekick that night and Johnny asked her what she was wearing and she said on the Tonight Show, I'm wearing Jelly Apple by Essie. And I did get to thank her Mm. before she died Mm. in person. And, I mean, that was a very special day in my life.
0: Where were you? Were you watching the show, coincidentally?
1: Yes, I was. I mean, I was a Johnny Carson fanatic, so Mm. I didn't miss a show. If I was home, I saw it. And this was in 1983? It was probably eighty. one or two. So you didn't know this
0: was coming to you. Can you describe that moment? Were you, were you by yourself sitting on your couch? or
1: I was in bed yeah. listening to Joan Rivers and Johnny and all of a sudden it was like, did I hear right? And you pinch yourself. They're talking about my baby. Did
0: you get phone calls that night? Do you remember? Yes,
1: I did. As a matter of fact, lots of calls. And by the next morning, it was like, Everyone was talking about it.
0: And by the way, this is before uh, social media, and this is before you're able to watch the show again and again on YouTube. You were lucky to have seen it. Otherwise, you would have just heard about it.
1: Absolutely. Yes, mm-hmm. how the world has changed. Right.
0: So I want to go back to 1981 when you decided to launch Essay with $10,000. How did you muster the $10,000? Where did that come from?
1: I was working. I worked um, at Henry Bendel for... A couple of years, uh, I was going FIT in the evening, and then after Bendel's, I went to work for a ladies hosiery company that was owned by two brothers, and they did private label pantyhose. Do you
0: remember like the moment when you went in and you told your boss, you know what, I'm doing this company, I'm off on my
1: own? Yeah, I do. I said I was leaving and he was not happy and basically said, we're not going to give you the 10-year pin. And I went, well, I'll have to live without it. And uh, I moved on. When you are ready to go, you got to go.
0: I love that you didn't, you didn't get your 10-year pin. No. I'm Jessica Harris. You're listening to From Scratch. My guest is Essie Weingarten, founder of Essie, a nail polish company with more than 300 colors. The company was bought in 2010 by L'Oreal. What other ideas did you have for starting a business other than nail polish, or did you have a maniacal focus? On I that?
1: was pretty focused that there was no one doing colors that were great. A formula that would be looking wet
0: mm-hmm.
1: for a whole week, and if I found the chemist to do it. And all major chemical companies and cosmetic companies were looking at the big picture. They were looking at foundations where the money is. Nails, the money wasn't in nails. Mm-hmm. I mean, in 1981, there were only two big companies doing nail polish. And I just thought that, you know, it made me feel special. If women started getting their nails done, because in 1981, women who had their nails done were very wealthy. It wasn't a luxury that we have today where everyone can have their nails done, Mm -hmm. the affordable luxury. So I went looking for a chemist. And that was, was a whole year of really getting ready. When I found the right chemist, and he gave me a few formulas, and I tested them out, and I found the formula that I loved, then I had to give him colors, and I was saving ribbons and pincushions, and from all my travels, I saved colors that really spoke to me—incredible colors that were sharp and clean. And clean was very important. I didn't—at that particular point—there were no muddy colors in my life, and um, he had to match the colors. And I know you're going to laugh, but I started with 12 colors. Mm -hmm. I mean, you try to start a line today with 12 colors, people would just turn their back on you. Mm -hmm. But it was such a different world. And Mm -hmm. I was a pioneer. I changed the way women think of nail color. It became a fashion accessory that if your nails are not polished, you're not dressed. Right,
0: and as you're talking to me, I'm I'm curling my nails into my shirt so you don't see that I'm not wearing nail polish. Well, you're half <laughs> dressed. So you found this chemist who really, you know, helped helped you get everything off the ground. Where, who, what was his or her
1: name, and where was he? Was in New Jersey, and his name was Stanley. He's no longer with us, unfortunately, but he was a very big part of my success. I mean, I've always had an amazing team around me. He just listened.
0: So you you launched with these 12 colors, and what did the names range from?
1: Well, some of them are still in the line. Bordeaux, which is like a very good bottle of red wine. It's a deep, delicious burgundy color. And Blanc and Baby's Breath. Blanc is that true chalk white, and Baby's Breath was a softer white for a French tip of a French manicure, which was a very big part of our beginning.
0: Very popular in the early 80s. Yes. So you launched and you decided uh, to go to Las Vegas when you launched uh, because the women in casinos, you know, they had hands that everyone saw. And also it was a meeting place of sorts for women from all the coasts who traveled there. Can you talk about what what you did in Las Vegas?
1: Yeah. I mean, it was very important to me that I... Go to a place where I get the best bang for my buck. And I thought Las Vegas in 81 between showgirls, dealers, dancers, that were always in the public eye, that always had to have beautiful hands and beautiful feet. If I could get them to try the Essie Polish, wow. Once you try it, you're hooked. It's the best addiction around. And it did work. I just left samples at every beauty salon, and there were less than 100 in 1981 and every hotel spa. I left them a little plastic bag with 12 colors and three treatments. And I said, call me if you like it. Within two weeks, every single one of them called and placed an order. And I was like, yes, I have a business.
0: You were in your early 30s at the time. Do you remember even that trip to Las Vegas with all of this nail polish in your bag?
1: Absolutely. It was like yesterday. We went to Kennedy Airport, because it was a nonstop flight. um, And you were allowed to take whatever you wanted on the plane. I mean, I must have had 10 cartons weighing 64 pounds each. Mm. There was no, not not a problem. If you had 10 suitcases, they took 10 suitcases.
0: So you got this approval from Las Vegas immediately, but you also uh, walked the streets of New York City, which is your hometown. Can you tell us about what that looked like?
1: Absolutely. I was very organized. So if I started on 96th Street, I did 96th, 95th, 94th, 93rd, from York mm-hmm. to 5th. Then I took 86th Street and went down from there. Then I did the west side. I mean, we years ago... There weren't nail salons in every corner. I know you can't believe it. There were beauty salons. and oh, beauty parlors. Beauty parlors, exactly. Mm-hmm. Some of the salons listed in the yellow pages. <laughs> I didn't have a cell phone. Can you imagine? And you'd go up, and they were like, really not salons. And you would run down the stairs because what there wasn't even elevators in the building. What were they? It uh, not- was something like, lady, what are you doing here? And I said, I don't think I belong here. Let me leave. The they were a different type of salon. Uh, mm-hmm. Right.
0: Did you have uh, problems with making enough to fit to fit the demand in the early days?
1: Well, the truth of the matter is, um, when I first started, I didn't think I'd ever be able to sell all the bottles that I had to, because it was a minimum of gallons that you had to buy. And I'll never forget they said to me, uh, "The minimum order is fifty-five gallons," and I went, "And how many bottles do I get from one gallon?" One gallon is 200 bottles. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, how am I going to sell one color and 10,000 you know, bottles mm-hmm, roughly? Exactly. Mm-hmm. And it was like, not a problem because mm. if the color is right and the quality is right, it's a give me. Everyone wants it.
0: The names that you come up with really are autobiographical in a way, they come from some fragment of your life. Can you give examples?
1: I mean, we have such funny stories. We were doing a trade show in Mexico City, and we went to hale and we saw the traffic wasn't moving, so we said, never mind. Now in Mexico City, the taxis are little Volkswagen bugs, and the taxi drivers wear white gloves and they open the door with like this little handle thing. And I went, never mind, never mind. And he yells at you, sand of a beach. It was like he was practicing this curse, and he knew I was American. And he, well, needless to say, I had to come up with a color called sand of a beach. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, we were in Paris, July Fourth, and I fell on my behind. It was pouring rain. We were going to Cafe Fouquet. So I came up with a color right after that very quickly called Café Forgot because I never want to forget Café Quat. when we were looking for a home in the Hamptons. So I came out with a collection and the colors were like very important because it was South of the Highway or Montauk the End or Dune Road or Picket Fence. It was something to do with the beach. And everyone said to me, oh, but the Hamptons, who's going to know about the Hamptons? Only people in New York. Well, it turned out that everyone in Europe wanted the Hampton Collection. Everyone in Asia wanted the Hampton Collection. Everyone in the Middle East wanted the Hampton Mm Collection. So it was just, I have to have the Hampton Collection Mm -hmm. because everyone wants a piece of the Hamptons.
0: Going back to the early days of getting interest from New York salons, do you have any recollections of one or two uh, beauty parlors that uh, really helped to escalate sales for you? Absolutely.
1: Um, There was a place called Nelnook on 2nd Avenue. It's no longer there and I guess it was 75th Street and then Ruzica de Felica. We had uh, Josephine Allen, who was on top of Yellow Fingers, Mm. and now she's at Essie Flagship Salon on 65th between Madison and Park.
0: For the first few years, you had a different bottle. Now there's this iconic bottle uh, that's square-shaped, and it has your name, Essie. Your real name was Esther, but you were never called that. Down the side. How did you decide to make that shift?
1: Well, when I first started, and I went to the glass um, company. I said I wanted my own mold. And he said to me, well, to have your own mold, you have to sell at least 2 million bottles a year. And I went, oh, my God, how am I going to do that? Well, shortly thereafter, within the first four years, I was able to do it with no problem, two consecutive years. And the bottle manufacturer said to me, if you really want to do your own mold, we can do it. And I said, it's really important to me Um I needed something that would be very comfortable in the manicurist's hand, because she's holding the bottle all day. I always like very angular things, I like straight lines, I'm not about roundness. And I came up with this bottle, which is round on the inside, but square on the outside, and all the edges are soft round, so it fits right into the nail tech's hand and the weight is evenly distributed.
0: Now the anatomy of a bottle is, as you described, the bottle itself, but there's also the brush and there's a little metallic, is it a steel ball inside?
1: Two stainless steel mixing balls. If you have one, it doesn't do anything. You need the friction of the two balls hitting each other. Mm -hmm. And that's just to keep everything blended. So you just roll it in your hands, you don't shake it because Mm -hmm. the two mixing balls can break through the glass. So you roll it and you keep the polish nice and fresh.
0: And the brush, is there anything special about the hairs or anything?
1: Absolutely. Our brushes were custom made for us. All the brushes had 199 hairs and we always kept the brushes very thin so you can get into the corners. So you have a nice, neat manicure.
0: You grew up in Hollis Hills, Queens, and your father ran a party rental business, uh, and he died when you were 16, and then your mom took over the business.
1: Correct. He died a a week before my 16th birthday.
0: How did he die?
1: Pancreatic cancer. And my mother never worked a day in her life. She was... You know, she was life was on a silver platter.
0: So your mom was left with uh, her five children and started running this business. Did you help out in the business at all? Of course, I still do. What was done? Like, so you you rented chairs and tables and balloons and
1: everything for a party.
0: It's still in your family. Yes, it is. Who runs it now? Party
1: time! My mom and my sisters. Uh, two sisters are uh, full time, and yep, out of Queens. Yes, Queen's Boulevard and Elmhurst. Your mom
0: was the one who took you, by the way, to your manicures starting when you were like six years old. If you were a good girl in ballet, she would take you to get your nails
1: done. Absolutely. And that was the only time I sat still. And I sat for one hour blowing them dry because there was no such thing as quickie drops or anything like that. You had to sit or else you smudged and you had a mess. So I wanted them to be perfect. So I sat there. (laughs)
0: There were not many colors to choose from,
1: uh, you know, at the time. What
0: what companies uh, did you use? Do you even remember as a six-year-old?
1: I, I do remember. There were only two. One was Revlon, and the other was L'Oreal. And that's the joke of the whole story. And there I am, 29 years later, selling my baby to L'Oreal.
0: Your father also was complicit uh, in this nail polish love affair of yours. He would take you to an apothecary owned by his brother, uh, owned cousin, by a Uncle cousin, Ralph. Uh, mm-hmm. to pick out even more colors.
1: Absolutely. Do you know where the um, Mac store is on Fifth Avenue and Fifty Ninth Street? Mm. That's you, there used to be a hotel called the Savoy Plaza Hotel, and that's where Uncle Ralph had his apothecary. Mm-hmm. And we'd go visit Uncle Ralph on Sunday. After the Lower East Side, and my dad would let me pick out colors that I would hold in my hand as my conscience for that whole week. I want to talk about
0: partnerships, the most important of which was with your husband, Max Sortino, who was the CEO for a while uh, before you sold the company to L'Oreal. How did you meet Max?
1: Met Max in California at a trade show. He wanted to buy the only publication that was available at that time, which was called mainly manicuring, and instead of purchasing mainly manicuring, he met Essie, <laughs> and he was really originally from Rome, Italy, and living in California.
0: And at the time, he he was he was in business with his ex-wife um, selling jewelry for the nails.
1: Correct. You know, mm-hmm. everyone said, "Oh, Essie, you need a European man. They're the only ones that'll understand a woman in business." Mm-hmm. And And it was just a great fit.
0: And at what point did he join you in the business? Was that a no-brainer
1: or did that take some... Once he moved to New York, he joined me. Uh And Max was always the visionary. I didn't have the name in the glass. Mm -hmm. I just felt that every salon loved the polish and they would put their own label on it and he said, Who's putting their label on it?
0: So it was his idea to put Essie on the bottle. Absolutely. Another good idea. Not all of them, but most of them. What were some ungood ideas?
1: Oh well everyone wanted a, a lipstick to match the nail polish. And you know, everyone would ask you for it. And it is a great idea. But there are no makeup artists in the salons telling the woman, try this color. Mm. It looks great on you. It just sits there, collecting dust. So how long did you dabble in lipstick? Oh, uh, probably about five years. We mm-hmm. didn't go- give up right away. You know, the truth of the matter is, it, Essie was born about colors. I mean, mm-hmm. that's what I'm known for, colors on my life.
0: What does your apartment look like? Is it colorful?
1: No, it's not as a matter of fact because I was always working in color, so the apartment is very much white and dark brown, lots of woods, different woods, different textures, very simple because everything else is what I do every single day of my life. What other mi- what other gloss. mistakes? Oh, plenty of mistakes. If like we didn't what? make mistakes, we would have never grown. Oh, we came out with a second line. That was a mistake. What's the second uh, it was, line? It was called Max. And then we had to change the name to Club Max because one of our competitors went to P&G's and said we were trading under the name of Max Factor, which it was not Max Factor. It was my husband, Max. Um, P&G, Procter uh, & Gamble, yeah, right? P&G. Yeah.
0: Did you ever have other investors? Aside? Never. So it was all run by your sales, all the capital that you That's got it. from your sales.
1: And, of course, my mother said to me, you know, you have a year and you'll see what happens And she said, if it doesn't work, it wouldn't be a Shondo, which is a shame. And that's all I had to hear. I said, you'll wait and see. There'll be no shame here.
0: Your mom, was she helpful in the business?
1: Of course. She even came to trade shows. Mm -hmm. I mean, she's amazing. I mean, she's the rock. She really gave us very good values, and we all had to work, and... um, she never takes no for an answer. Uh, you know, we've learned that from her and Were you brought up in a religious household? Well, we had two sets of dishes. We had a kosher so you were, you were home Jewish so we were Jewish kosher. and kosher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but lots of times that we mixed up the silverware and it was like, "Oh my god, you have to put it in the dirt outside." Our friends would say, "Oh, you you have flowers and silverware growing in your garden?" <laughs> So,
0: you know, fun things, always fun. I'm Jessica Harris. You're listening to From Scratch. My guest is Essie Weingarten, founder of Essie, a nail polish company with more than 300 colors. Essie is available in roughly 25,000 salons in over 100 countries. You mentioned that one of the two nail polish companies that sold nail polish when you were your six and seven-year-old self, you know, getting a manicure was L'Oreal. And little did you know that you would sell the company, sell. Essie to L'Oreal, you know, in 2010. You had an initial flirtation with L'Oreal in 2005 when they came to you and was interested in an acquisition. Can you talk about the 2005 conversation? Well,
1: I got a phone call in the office, and the switchboard operator said, there's a call from L'Oreal. Well, everyone in the office, like, their ears perked up. They really wanted to buy the company, and we were not big enough, number one. And number two, we didn't want to sell the company. There's no reason to sell the company. And we said goodbye, and they said they'd never come back.
0: That was in 2005. Mm-hmm. Fast forward to 2010, and L'Oreal approaches you again. Why were things different this time?
1: Well, we were growing like crazy. I mean, when the economy started to tank in 2008, our business was on fire. At that point, in 2007... Business was really good and we started with an architect. We were going to be adding onto our building. We were expanding the parking lot and we were going up. And then as the economy started to get funky in 2008, I put the stop sign up and I said, let's wait and see what's gonna happen. Instead, our business just kept on growing double digits and we were busting at the seams. Of course, he was right, and we should have built. It was 2009, Christmas, when I got a phone call wishing us um, a Merry Christmas, and I said they're back because they said they would never come back. And after that phone call, we didn't hear from them again till I think it was the end of February. And when they called again, they said they want a deal and they want it quick. They were afraid that I was going to back out of the deal, which I could have done very easily. But you know, if I make a commitment, my word's my bond, and I stick by it.
0: So, but why? Why did you sell?
1: Because we were busting by the seams. I mean, we really were working like three shifts around the clock. Um, we had no more room.
0: Mm-hmm. It was so you needed capital to expand. Or? No, we had yeah. capital.
1: We just yeah. needed you needed location. Mm-hmm. Number one. I mean, we had. We were very aggressive with inventory, always were, Um, always had containers on the ocean coming in from Italy, constantly, Mm -hmm. always was aggressive with chemicals, I mean, lots of pails, lots of... I mean, I was never out of stock, and everyone knew it. You wanted something, you never had to wait for it. And that was, you know, that was part of the magic formula. California, they got it in a week. New York, New Jersey, Connecticut. They had it the next day and everyone knew it. Yeah. I spoiled my customers rotten and I loved
0: every minute of it. The SE is available in over 100 countries and your fir- the first country was Japan.
1: We were in Over a hundred, we thought 109 when we sold the company, and then they came back to us after the due diligence and said, "You didn't tell us the truth. You're in 114 countries." Do
0: you notice anything uh, culturally different between like what Americans want on their nails versus a woman in Jordan? Do you even sell in Jordan, for example? Yes, we do. As a matter of
1: fact, Mm -hmm. the truth of the matter is, when we were in Kuwait, which was quite interesting, there were women praying, and The cultural difference was before they pray, they have their polish removed. And after they're done praying, they get their nails done again. So it's a really great market. And I thought that was something so interesting. And in Dubai, of course, it's completely different. But we were doing a shoot for a magazine, and there was this woman wearing a burqa. And I said, Would you like to be in the article? And she said, She would. And she took off her burqa, and I never saw anything so beautiful in my whole life. She was a banker. And she said, if my husband sees this, he'll kill me. And I thought I would die. I mean, and this is like only 2008 or nine.
0: This is in Dubai?
1: In Dubai. You're saying, wow, the world has moved so fast. And then you find these little clusters where women are still living in the past. Where do you get your nails done? I get my nails done at Samuel Shariki on 65th Street.
0: When you do get manicures at other places, um, when the people don't know you, do you tell them that you are Essie?
1: No, of course not. Um, My Little stepson would always say, "You know who she is," and I would say, "Ben, don't do that." Ben comes with you to get your nails done sometimes. Oh, Ben would be there. Yeah, was they there get ever? very nervous. I will tell you, they when they find out, they get real extremely nervous. I don't know why, but mm-hmm. they do.
0: Did they? Was there ever a time they didn't believe
1: you that you were indeed Essie? Well, you know, sometimes I'd go into a salon and. It wasn't even to get a manicure; it was just to be selling product. And I would say, "Hi, I'm Essie," and they would say, "Manny, Manny." And I said, "No, no, 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 no. I'm Essie. <laughs> Hello. I just want to, you know, introduce myself." And uh-huh. they get a little bit confused, mm-hmm. but. Uh, it was always fun. And yeah, you know, the business card always worked. Right. Now, uh, the market has
0: changed a bit. I mean, it used to be basically exclusively women. And now more and more men are going into salons and male grooming is, you know, increasing in importance to men. Do you know many men who get their nails polished?
1: Absolutely. A lot of them will get one color of either one color coat of Mademoiselle, which my husband happens to wear, because it just looks like a good finish, almost like a woman's uh, blush. So it's a little bit of something, but it's no one could tell it's a color. And then some men are really getting color. In L.A., you'll see men wearing uh, a lot of sandals, flip-flops, and they have pedicures, and they're wearing color. And the first time, I saw it was Seal and he was wearing Dominica Green.
0: Seal the singer? Seal
1: the singer. And then he was wearing Aruba Blue. And I went like, Heidi, yes. Um, you know, and I've been really fortunate from A to Z. And when I say A to Z, all these celebrities from Angelica, you know, Angelica Houston to Renee Zellweger, they all wore Essie and they would share it and tell you these stories. And I never did any um, celebrity endorsements. Mm -hmm. They wore it. They spoke about it because they loved it. And I mean, how lucky can a woman be?
0: Well, thank you very much for joining us.
1: It's my pleasure, Jessica. Thank you.
0: My guest has been Essie Weingarten, founder of Essie. I'm Jessica Harris. This is From Scratch.